Okay, welcome back. Another week of uh, Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcasts. Podcast that is about just what it sounds like. Every week we pick out a couple of interesting craft beers to talk about before we go into the newest movie that we've seen. Uh, right from our home here in the heart of Portland, Oregon. My name is Dustin. And I am Lakeisha. And we're really excited about this week because this week's movie was... Atomic Blonde. Yeah, we were both pretty pumped to see this movie, and it really delivered. We both really like liked this movie, so it's going to be pretty happy times talking about this. Uh, but before we get into the movie, we do have a couple of glasses of some... Went to our favorite like bottle shop and picked out a couple of cool things. So I'll go ahead and... Um, I guess I'll go first. Go for it. All right. What are you drinking? I am drinking. It's uh, called the Shallow Grave Porter. It's from Heretic Brewing. And it says that it is a rich and smooth porter. And it, rich is definitely the right word for it. It is very... Like, your dad would probably really like this. <laughs> uh, it says right on the bottle that Shallow Grave Porter is dark as night. Perfect for a cool evening out in the woods. Uh, then after some description of what's in it, it ends by saying, you will love this so much, you won't have time to dig a six-footer, so make it a shallow grave. We're sure you'll dig it. See what they did there? Uh-huh, uh-huh, I do. Me uh, slap, me slap. They're from Heretic Brewings out of Fairfield, California. Started in 2011. Uh, their slogan, be a heretic, don't drink ordinary beer. And it's kind of a fun little website they have. It looks like it might be the poster of an old, like, uh, 70s religious thriller, like, you know, uh, The Omen or The Exorcist or something. And, uh, <laughs> nice. They have uh, they have some fun-sounding beers. They make a couple of evil ones, Evil Twin and Evil Cousin. Yes, That's, Evil Cousin is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like a red IPA. And then Torment is the name of their stout. And they have a sour beer called Miscreant. I like it. Yeah, so pretty fun beers, cool website, um, and this is a really good porter. We've been pretty IPA heavy on the podcast, so I wanted to purposely go get something a little darker, and it's uh, it's really rich and a bit chocolatey. It's quite good. Excellent. And as for you, um, well, I stuck with the IPA because that is probably one of my favorite beers, um, and I am drinking Everybody's Brewing, at their beer called. Hoppy as fuck. Oh. Yes. It's pretty uh, hilarious. Saw that title. Made me laugh. Had to try it. Um, It is a double IPA. And it is, you know, the label obviously had to be consumer friendly. So it's just Hoppy AF. Okay. Uh, But uh, then you read through it. Um, Everybody's Brewing is out of White Salmon, uh, Washington. Mm Mm-hmm. And just over cool. by Hood River on the, yeah, other, side on the other side of the river, of yeah. the Columbia, and it's it's quite good. Uh, this is their tiny tank series. <laughs> they have a series of beers there um, that, besides their regular brews, um, and this one is a double IPA. It's light. It's juicy. Um, it's got massive amounts of Galaxy, Citra, and Chinook hops, um, and they even say in the description. Uh, it, that the for the aroma and flavors are definitely hoppy as fuck. Oh, okay, so they made so, sure that they you know that that's what the AF stands for. Correct. It wasn't hoppy 
uh, absolutely fabulous or no, something. but you're so cute for thinking of that. Okay. Well, that's cool. I didn't white. I didn't know that they were. I had heard of that brewery before. I did not know they were in White Salmon. I spent a couple of summers fighting fire out of the Dalles, which is also right across the river there. So uh, I've known a person or two from White Salmon. So cool. We'll have to go check that out. Go check sometime. that out sometime. It's not too far away. All right. So we got a couple sweet beers for this conversation, which is all about uh, Charlize Theron's new movie, Atomic Blonde. We've been excited about this since the first trailers came out. Couldn't wait to see it. Yes. Uh, we're turned out, worked out this week that I actually got to see it twice. I won a drawing that got me passes to an advanced screening of it. And unfortunately, you were out of town for a work thing. Uh, but then you got back, and then we went and saw it over the weekend. So, But yeah, we both really enjoyed this. And when we get to talking about the movies, we have... Uh, we each pick out three things that we think are the best or coolest parts for us, and we go back and forth about what those were. So I went first with the beer, so I guess I'll let you go first with the movie. All right. Well, um, the there's no particular order, but I will say that this is probably my favorite thing about the movie. Uh -huh. um, it's just got a kick-ass female lead. I love Charlize Theron. She does a great job. Um, she takes a beating, she oh, gives yes. a beating, um, it starts out the you know, with her just completely covered in bruises as she comes out of her ice bath, um, you know, to really depict like, this is a process, this is painful, it is not pretty, um, and there are definite, uh, the next day you're going to feel it, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, in these these fight scenes are amazing. Um, Charlize Theron does a great job in those fight scenes. Um, she trained like crazy to do as many of those things as possible, and she does she does it, most of them. Um, yeah, I can only and, think of maybe one thing where I would they probably use a stunt double. Right. So I mean, she just does a fantastic job, um, really taking the reins, taking charge. Uh, you've seen female leads in other um, movies, but I think um, she does a great job. This is the summer of strong female characters. I mean, we saw Wonder Woman earlier this year. Um, we're seeing, a, seeing um, Charlize Theron in, as Lorraine uh, Beaumont or... Breton. Uh, I can't remember the last name Broughton, now. Yeah, whatever. something like that. Yeah. Um, and it, she's just, she's strong. She's smart. She's fast, uh, and she really holds her own with, with guys that are her size and bigger. Yeah, yeah. It was that was all, so that's also uh, pretty good. Uh, one of my favorite things for me as well. One of the what I'm going to say is one of my favorite things was the setting of the movie. So when we first is when we, after the first couple of trailers, I purposely started avoiding them because I didn't want to see anymore. We're absolutely going to see this. I didn't want to see anything new. Um, and so those, at least first couple of trailers, as I remember them, did not, uh, reveal that this movie is actually set in the past, set in 1989, late okay. 80s, uh, during the fall of the Berlin wall. Most of it takes place in Berlin and you don't get that. At least I didn't get that from any of the trailers I saw. So that was actually a fun surprise when it starts out and it lets you know, this is when it's going to be. And it just makes it just so cool. Cause you know, I was growing, you know, 
I was growing up at that time. I was freshman in high school in the fall of 89. Um, and, you know, the music that they used came from that era, which made it really fun. There's lots of neon, you know, in places that they're at. Um, and also because it took place back then, you know, it's, uh, and it's, and uh, another thing about this movie is it's totally a spy movie. Yes. Something else that the trailers didn't really, like, I remember seeing a lot of things online where people would say, oh, this is just female John Wick. It's mm-hmm. a female version of the John Wick movies. And I would, after seeing it, especially after seeing it twice, I would disagree because this is very much a spy movie first action movie second. And because of that, and because it's set in the eighties, there's nothing digital. Nobody has any GPS, anything, right. uh, you know, it's all, so there's a lot of old school spy craft, you know, with old wired antenna bugs that people are being planted on and recording things with tape on, right. a, on a tape player. And, uh, uh, that made it really, Oh, really neat, really cool, and yeah, just that throwback setting was just was made it a lot of fun for me. Right, everybody's using a landline, yeah, which is just hilarious. Um, and then one thing I thought was great was in the briefing that they have before they send her on the mission, they're going through uh, the briefing using um, slides and a oh, slide yeah. projector, yeah. which is. I remembered those from my childhood and I just started giggling like that's hilarious that's how they used to have to do all of those things so yeah pull out that slideshow and all those individual slides it would have have been better if they would have used an overhead projector oh no no you still (laughs) use those um so yeah it's funny because we do not share our top three uh things we like about a movie before we do this podcast And yet there oftentimes there are so many similarities because the fact that it's set in the eighties in 1989 is also on my list. That's my number two. I uh, thought the music was great. Oh my gosh. I'm such an eighties baby. Um, I love the music. I thought it was an excellent counterpoint to the action that's happening in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that there's a reference at some point in time. They're in a club She's talking to Sophia Butella's character, and Sophia Butella points out, oh, David Hasselhoff's in town, because you can hear a commotion in the background. A bunch of cameras flashing and everything, and and of course, as we all know, he's big in Germany. Correct. (laughs) Or at least he was. He was. Uh, So I just, I thought that was such a great little insert into, um, you know, pop culture of the 80s. Mm -hmm. So I, the music, yeah, the music was fantastic. Fantastic, uh, and I really enjoyed that part. Like, it, it, you're right; it was great being set in the '80s. Yeah, the music was. This is the third movie we've seen this summer where the music, the pop music used, was like a big part of it, and made it really made those movies really fun in their own way. You know, with Guardians of the Galaxy and then right. Baby Driver, and now this. Um, actually, read that um, they tr- they wanted to have David Bowie in this be in this movie, be one of the guys in the interrogation room. Oh, that and awesome. uh, they sent him the script, and he told them know that he really liked it, but politely declined. And then he passed while they were making it. And that's why they they made sure that there's like there's one David Bowie song in there, and then at the, very, the film ends with "Under Pressure," which is David Bowie, Queen. And there's just so many, a lot of synth pop music in the background, which is perfect for like the Berlin setting, and where they're in all these weird clubs and bars or whatever. But then, like a couple of weird like 
one of the one of the big action set pieces is set to Father Figure by George Michael. Oh yes, <laughs> it was seems so weird when she turns up the stereo and it's like that's the song that she's going to be beating these guys to death to. Yeah, and then uh, I remember when I was at elementary school when the, a song called Ninety Nine Luft Balloons by Nina like came from Germany and it was like really popular and they used that you know to a scene where a guy gets beat to death with a skateboard. Right. Well, they used that both. Uh, couple a couple of times. Couple the times the right. first time it was in German, and the next time it was um, the English version that they did. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, so a lot of interesting choices, and the music made it. As I when it first starts, I can remember you start like I remember kind of bopping along with the opening song, which I, I can't even remember what it was now. But yeah, it was great. Right. I agree. And I loved that they even did <clears throat> um, like German versions of the american songs oh yeah so which was a thing um you know and that happens and so it was great to to hear both versions so i yeah i enjoyed it uh i read one review where um they were complaining about the fact that like oh what's with all of these like you know sound trying to make the soundtracks um more like more popular than the movie or whatnot and i like promptly stopped reading that reviewer because Uh quite frankly the fact that people are spending a lot more time (laughs) being thoughtful about their music choices as they fit into movies and that the fact that music can be a character in the movie oh totally totally is something that i really really appreciated and it absolutely is in this movie i agree all right so my second uh, thing that I'm going to talk about. Um, oh, and yeah, if you've never listened to our podcast before, strangers, uh, spoilers. We're gonna we don't we don't worry about holding back on anything as far as plot details go. So if we've already ruined something for you, sorry about that. Okay, uh, there's an extended fight scene, kind of towards the end of the movie. They're smuggling a guy out of East Berlin, and stuff goes wrong. And essentially, she has to take out a bunch of KGB dudes in this building. Like mostly takes place in like the stairwell right. and it is just the most brutal. It is like I said, it's an extended fight scene. Yes. She take she has, she fights these two dudes for a while. And then once they're, she's done with that, you think it might, Oh, we're not over because there's more come And It's just, and then we already talked about all the music that is used in the movie. In this scene, there is no music at right. all. Nothing but grunting and the sounds of punching and guns and bleeding and screaming and it is vicious and brutal and awesome i mean the choreography the choreography is great took apparently took them two weeks to film just this one scene and it's really it's the scene that really shows like it really shows the physical toll of that kind of violence i mean you as an audience member you feel every Every punch or kick that she gives somebody, you feel every punch she takes. You're just like kind of wincing at it. I mean, and but it's not just punching. Uh, you know, she busts a hot plate across across a dude's face at one point, and it just <laughs> and she just holds nothing back. Every swing, every <laughs> is just at, at full power. Right. And that scene is just so is so great, and she's just so bloody and bruised at the end of it. And I think the choice of having no music playing underneath it when those is was really smart. It's great. Probably my favorite part of the movie. Right. It was that was a great uh, scene in the movie, and it really captured like how exhausting that kind of fighting can be, 
I mean, there's a, there's a couple of times once in a stairwell where they're trying to get up. Like they've both, yeah. you know, taken so many hits, um, and, you know, and they've fallen down the stairs and they're both like exhausted, but they both are trying to get up. And again, there's no sound. So you're just hearing them like breathe heavy as they're trying to like get to their feet. Cause they know you've got to be on your feet or else you're, you know, right. you lose. Um, but yeah, she goes through, I think like seven or eight guys in that scene, mm-hmm. um, as she works her way down the stairwell and then they're in that room. Uh, so it, I agree that it's ex- that extended scene is phenomenal. Masterful. phenomenal. Masterful. Um, you can definitely see, um, why people might think it's similar to the Bourne movies. I right. That just the sheer. Uh, cinematography of the fight scenes uh-huh. are really good. It is very, uh, it reminded me of a combination of Jason Bourne and John Wick movies, which right. should not be surprising since the director of Atomic Blonde was co-director of the first, the first John, the first John right. Wick. So um, it was, it was great. I agree. All right. Well, uh, so, all right, we're on three. My yep. third thing that I really liked about this movie was overall just the choices in cinematography. It was great. The movie is, uh, for the most part, it's very pretty. Very, it's very pretty, but it's all in like muted colors. It is mm-hmm. all stark and bleak, and uh, she pretty much only wears black and white. Uh, throughout the entire movie, except for a couple of times where she's got red accents, like mm-hmm. her red shoes or her red jacket. And I thought overall, um, everything is, there's no real bold, brilliant, vibrant colors. There's the no. neon lights, mm-hmm. but most of them they still chose were like the blues and the purples and stuff. So it still is, right. everything was cold. It takes place in winter. So they're always dressed in like, They've always got coats on, but it, it just was a very bleak and yet beautiful, yeah. um, beautiful landscape, beautiful background, um, which is funny because last week we, we reviewed oh, yeah, Valerian, Valerian, which was beautiful in its cinematography. And that was completely opposite for all of the color mm-hmm. and how brilliant and vibrant those colors were. So I thought that those choices in in Atomic Blonde, where everything is is bleak and black and white and and colors are, are muted, was a great choice. And I kind of felt like maybe it was an homage to the source material, which is a graphic novel called The Coldest City, right. which is um, entirely done in black and white. So I felt, oh, that was like kind of a great little homage to to the source material. That could be. In the movie. Um and I love that it is, in many ways, the classic spy movie where all of the spies are very smooth um, and everything they do is so fluid and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like James McAvoy as he steps out of his car where, right after that initial um, car fight that Shirley's there and has, you know, he pulls and his car slides yeah, to a stop. It's almost as if it's all one, out. the car stopping and then him bursting out of the door. It's almost like it's just one motion, one fluid motion. Correct. And then, you know, her, her movements and, and even her 
um, fight scenes are just choreographed so well mm. that even though there's a brutality there, there's also a level of just, she's a spy, she's doing what she's supposed to do, what spies do. Um, she, there's plans within plans. Um, and her, her plan at the end where they're, again, they're trying to smuggle out the uh, defector from East um, Berlin. Berlin, they are, you know, they have a plan, they're walking, and then just kind of as she, like, gives the signal to right. uh, her her contact, you know, and he whistles, and all of a sudden all the umbrellas come up. Everything is just, the cinematography just makes it look so slick, and I just, I loved it. It made it look like a real, like a spy movie um, with, throwback to many yeah. of those spy movies and the, the kind of the washing out of the bleaker most of the colors and when when you see when they do go somewhere it had like the neon lights the neon stuff really stood out right and like the opening credits where they use spray paint mm-hmm. you know that that really was so super bold really was really pretty so my last thing that i'm going to say is kind of echoing your first one i'm just going to say that it's just all about uh, Charlize Theron. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like she wasn't a movie star before this movie, because she certainly was. But this is definitely a star turn, as they say. She, This is her movie, and there's no doubt about that. She is, you know, so good at everything. You know, like, we've talked about the, the fight sequences, which she did almost all of. She just sells out and just swings for the fences with every punch and everything. I mean, they have an, um, one of the, there's a bunch of videos you can find that they've put out showing her training for this, which I recommend everybody go to YouTube or, or go to the Atomic Blonde website, look them up because they're pretty fun to watch. And in oh, one yeah. of them, you'll find the director talking about how they were anticipating filming the movie, how, um, especially the action sequences that are choreographing for like, you know, there'll be three to five moves, you know, punch, block, punch, miss, whatever, cut, stop, reposition the camera and do another three to five moves, cut and move on. And then you just kind of edit the scene together after that until they started seeing how good she was at at it and her training. They're like, she can do, she can memorize 20 different moves and get them all and not screw up, you know? And it's like, you know, and just how good she was. So as they went back to their fight choreography guys and they were like, okay, we've got something special here. We think just go ahead and go crazy with what you <laughs> want to plan. Cause she can, cause she can do it. And they did and, go crazy. And it was so that made that movie so more awesome. And just, and just, and on top of that, just, just she's already a great actress. I mean, she's, she does a great job of, you know, you could, she plays this like kind of soulless you know spy veteran you know with like kind of dead eyes and i've seen everything in the world to showing real compassion you know for sophia batella and then the guys that she's trying to smuggle out of east berlin uh to even uh, report she's she acts underwater she right. acts with touching i mean i know it's not like no one's ever done a scene underwater before but this is like a lingering close-up on her face underwater where she is like displaying, you know, how, you know, real sadness and you're just like, and it's her, it has to be her. I don't know how they baked her not being underwater for that. So I'm sure that's her. So yeah, just her just being a total, just rock star from start to finish in this movie. She's great. So great. I agree. Absolutely. All right. So after we've gone through our three things, uh, we usually spend a few minutes 
talk about uh, maybe some stuff that wasn't our favorite uh, in this movie. Yeah, I think we really had to dig deep. Yeah, pretty, for that. pretty nitpicky. This movie was very good. Um, but yeah, there were a couple of things that I probably weren't my favorite. Uh-huh. Um, so go ahead and I'll let you go first. What was something yeah. that wasn't uh, so great? The first thing that came to my mind was um, is what we'll call the, this movie's MacGuffin. The thing that everybody's trying to find. There's a list of all these you know, spies in Europe that with their real identities and whatever else information that is out in the open and everyone's trying to find it because if it gets into the wrong hands, then all these people are probably going to end up getting murdered. Right. And I've seen that plot device before. So I was like, kind of like when I first, when they were first explaining it in the beginning, I was like, oh, is that what this is going to be about? And it turns out it's about more than that. Right. Which was good. But one, but that, that was a, pretty major plot point wasn't my favorite thing. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, you had to have the reason to go there to Germany. Yeah. Though. Uh, so one thing I didn't care for was, uh, Sophia Boutella's character. Um, I felt that she, her character was not, uh, written to its fullest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think Sophia Boutella is super talented. Um, oh, sure. We talked about her before it, when we did the mummy. Yeah. Um, I, I know both of us think that she's great, but I just felt like her talents were not well util- utilized in this movie. Um, she essentially is the love interest. That's all. That's her role is to be the love interest mm-hmm. for Charlize Theron, which is a great a little twist there to kind of yeah. throw people off or to make people, again, reevaluate their expectations or what they think is supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, but, and, and I don't even, I didn't even mind that she was the love interest, except that that was her only role. She was a terrible spot. She gets, <laughs> uh, you know, identified as Charlize Theron is walking out of the airport. Like, at no point in time is she not an ineffective spy. And I just felt that's, that was a waste of the talent of the actress. So that was my, I mean, again, the movie is great, but it was, it was just something that was a little disappointing for me and I didn't care for it. I would have liked to see more. Sure. I can see that. Um, I will say though, that her, her character, it's a big switch from the graphic novel because that character apparently in the graphic novel is a man. Mm-hmm. So that they made that switch. It was an interesting call. And apparently they ran it by Charlie because Charlie's Theron is like an executive producer of this right. movie, of course. So, uh, and she thought that was a pretty good idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I don't know as in, in, the, in the movie, this character is also very new at being a spy, you know, so that's, and she plays it pretty well, but they don't really give her much more than that. So right. I, I want to read the graphic novel now. So it'll be interesting to see if that's the same thing with that with that character in the book or not. Right. Yeah, I think that, again, it's just that the, the actress is so talented. Um, I think that the gender bending in the um, show, that's fine. I think that, um, you know, it without, like, being making it a making it a statement they make a statement by the fact that that's just part of the movie there's no mm-hmm. um big reveal it just is what happens next in the movie 
Um, but I just was disappointed because I think she's so talented. I think she could have been utilized more effectively. Okay. All right. Another thing I didn't like. Well, I don't know if I even say that I described this as something I don't like, but uh, that this movie plot wise, it does not hold your hand as an audience member. It's not that like, you know, there's no like, okay, did you catch that part? This part's important. You know, here's a bit of, you know, exposition to really make sure that you get what's going on. You got to pay attention to get, know what's going on. Correct. And they almost, it comes really close to the line of maybe not doing enough. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the movie, but you know, when the first time I watched it, I was kind of towards the end. I totally wasn't clear about the ending. Now I think I more am. Uh, but so I can definitely see people watching this and being like, I didn't get it, mm-hmm. you know? So that's one thing to think about that they could have maybe put together a little more coherent plot, but that's, but again, that's really nitpicky. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I thought they did a good job. I appreciate movies that don't hold your hand and don't kind of walk you through, uh, everything with a lot of, you know, okay, we must pause for some unnecessary exposition so that you know mm-hmm. what everything is and right. how everything goes. And um, and in fact, one of the things that still bothers me about the movie is the fact that there's a point in time where um, Sophia Butella's character whispers something in Charlize Theron's ear, and we don't know what that is. I still don't know what it is. Yeah. They never reveal that in... The movie, and I was expecting it to be like a major plot point or a twist in the plot that I was expecting. Right. And they never reveal it. So that was disappointing. Um, I thought James McAvoy uh, did a great job playing um, kind of the uh, counterpoint mm-hmm. to Charlize Theron's character. I really enjoyed him. He just made me laugh. Um, he was an energetic and unconventional character. Um, so, but one thing that I think that I didn't necessarily care for was kind of the triple agent spy thing got a little convoluted. Right. Um, I mean, it was a great twist at the end to Mm -hmm. find out, you know, Ooh, she's not working, you know, she's satchel first of all, you you know, which I, I kind of foreshadowed, like there's a point in the movie where it's like, yeah, I think maybe she's the double agent, but um, I didn't see it coming that she was actually uh, a triple agent and really didn't work for the Russians or, or for the, the Brits, British. Yeah. but for the Americans. Uh, but at the same time, that made me kind of pause and think that, okay, so the Russians think that she's working for them, but in this, in this whole situation, she just straight up like murders or demolishes many of the guys in there, like her contact or her superior, Bremovich, keeps sending guys after her. Like, he has to know that they're gonna, that she's gonna kill them, or when she does start killing them, he might want to be like, oh, maybe I should do something differently. But, I don't know, like, how is that, how is that okay, if that's the side that you're supposed to be working for? And so, it just, it got, that got a little convoluted for me. So, um, I didn't, I didn't know kind of how that would play out if you're actually killing people on your side, like how do your superiors respond to that? So 
it just was something that got a little um, convoluted for me. It wasn't my favorite uh, part of the movie, mm-hmm. but everything else was a lot of fun. And again, kind of have to dig a little deep for that. Um, and it definitely yeah. came out of me thinking and thinking and thinking like, oh, well, you know, how would people be perceiving that if it were real? Yeah. So I think if like, if you could, if you really wanted to, you could kind of, you could come up with your own like headcanon, you know, explanation as to why that was. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But it also a result, what I, what I noticed watching it the second time, because towards the end, and the one time, actually, you mentioned that she doesn't wear it. She wears black and white most of the movie. I want to say the one time she wears this really bright red coat is when she's walking to go meet with the KGB guy at the end. Right. So Soviet red kind of like makes you think, is she really, oh my God, is she actually a KGB agent this entire time? And then you realize she's been drinking vodka the whole goddamn movie. I mean, right. From the first time you saw her, she's pouring stoli over ice and that's all she drinks. The entire movie is vodka. Um, then she has that great line at the end where, you know, like you thought you were working. I was working for you. You were working for me. Every piece of misinformation I gave you was a chink in the iron curtain, etc. which is a really cool. Line. Right. Yeah. I thought that was a really great way yeah. to end it. So I appreciated that. And the only other thing I would say, and I'm not even sure that I really dislike this either, because I like movies that are told non-linearly, you know, where it's not just plot point, you know, A to B to C to D. They hop forward and back in time. I think that stuff's fun. But this movie, this story is told almost entirely as a flashback. The majority of this movie is a flashback. I'm still undecided as what I think about that. But, But anyway, that's also even... Not that big a deal. Right. Right. So, so did you have anything other, any things that you didn't care for? Or is that, that it? No, those were really it. Like right. I said, um, this movie was great. It was captivating from start to finish. I really enjoyed it. Uh, even the brutal parts where I was cringing and, you know, kind of like jerking and one eye would like mm-hmm. clench. So I'd be like, oh, I don't want to see, but I do want to see. Um, it, it's so good. I just thought it was clever. It was fun. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Another thing that the I remember seeing the director say is that you know they didn't have a big budget for this movie, and so and doing fight scenes like that is actually cheaper than doing any sort of like CGI special effect or anything. So they were happily willing to you know to make all of those because it was you know within their budget constraints and. Oh, Since nice. it didn't cost all that much money to make, it's probably going to make its money back pretty quickly. And they're already, I saw an article where Charlize Theron is already saying, yeah, they're already talking about maybe a sequel, which would be cool. Which is interesting. I wonder where they would go because uh, they did, so they did the graphic novel, The Coldest City. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did, that author wrote a second graphic novel about the same character. Oh, really? But it's a prequel. It's called The Coldest Winter. Oh, interesting. So I wonder if they would do that. I would just think that they would just go into the next decade and there would be a nineties, you know, they could use nineties music and, you know, oh, uh, whatever. I, yeah. I'd be, cool. be down with that. That'd be great. So, um, any fun, interesting facts? We always kind of have those to talk about. Yeah. Well, we already mentioned that this is based on a graphic novel called the coldest city, which is published by Oni press, a company that exists right here in Portland, Oregon. Which I, I did not know. Yes, I read uh, stuff from Oni Press. Uh, Stumptown. You read Stumptown, written by 
Greg Rucka, our friend Greg Rucka. Not really our friend, but we've met him twice uh, from Oni Press. Let's see. Um, uh, oh, well, uh, apparently I didn't know this until I looked this up on IMDb. Uh, the, the 80s band Blondie has a song called Atomic that amazingly was not used for this soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I can't believe that. I'm that sure they just happen. couldn't get the rights. I guess. I thought they used a different Blondie song in there at some point, though, but I don't remember. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, there's a thing about she got hurt, right? They, they both, her and McAvoy, were got. Well, she was hurt making it, he was hurt before he showed up. Yes. Right? James McAvoy got injured uh, prior to the uh, filming of Atomic Blonde. He got um, injured filming Split. Mm hmm. And so uh, he injured his hand. And he has a cast on his hand throughout the movie, which they actually use in a fun way as like a plot point at yeah. one point. Uh, so it it, it really participated in the plot. So the plot, yeah. I thought that was very clever, great way to incorporate it into the movie, his yeah. injury. And she, what, lost a couple teeth or just chipped a couple teeth or something? Right. So there was some teeth damage. And then also, um, you know, we both... Uh, like the Game of Thrones show and uh, the Randall Tarley, the guy who plays Randall Tarley, Sam Tar Samwell Tarley's asshole father is in this movie. Which I totally did not know. Yeah. That's crazy. I think as we were watching it, I think we're both odd. I've seen that I've seen that guy in movies before. I can't think of what. Just one of those guys who's always familiar face. Familiar face. But then I looked it up, then when it mentioned it on IMDB, it's like, oh, I totally I totally see it now. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, well, my interesting kind of random trivia is, uh, I mentioned this before, but the director of this movie, David Leach, was co-director of John Wick. And I think that's why there are definitely some influences you see mm -hmm. in the filming of several of their action sequences. But also, um, he was, Leach, was a stuntman for the first part of his career. So oh, he was actually... Uh, Brad Pitt's stuntman, stunt double in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, cool. And he's got a long got resume a long as a yeah, stunt sure. double. Uh, but you can see that as well in the, I think, the filming and the the way the action sequence uh, work and how they the fight scenes are all choreographed really well. You can definitely see, oh, like knowing that he's a stuntman, I can see like how right. that has influenced what he filmed, and pro and most likely the way he filmed it. I mean, I didn't go to film school, but when I can start yeah. to see those type of um, similarities and influences, it makes sense. Right? Yeah, former stuntman's probably not going to make a you know a, a period piece dramatic you know war epic or something maybe or, or oh, a romantic. I know. I'd be interested to see what he does, but I just thought the fight sequences and the action sequences that he does that he films. Uh, you could see the influences of him being having done those sequences sure. and how they might work out and how much more realistic they are in this movie and even to some extent John Wick, to yeah. some extent, uh, how much more realistic those fight scenes are. Yeah, he's uh, also actually, he was going to be, um, he was going to be the co-director of John Wick Chapter 2 until this was started happening, and then he actually had to leave uh, John Wick Chapter Two to start filming this. Was, so, a good choice. A good, good choice. choice, yeah. And they even like uh, 
Charlize and uh, Keanu actually trained together right. a bit because there was some overlap and they were using the same trainers. So, yeah, all right. So I think I think that's it. You got anything else? Not really. It's an excellent movie. Yeah, we both really dug it. Um, so uh, bef- uh, so uh, coming up next week, uh, in theaters would be uh, The Dark Tower. That's a movie that we both want to see. Yes. Uh, you were going to be out of town, though. Yes. So this is what. So actually, when we did our episode on John Wick Chapter Two, that we picked that from our private library because there was nothing in the theater that week we wanted to see. So I let you pick one, and you picked that one. So that's what we're going to do this week. Since you're going to be gone, I'm going to pick one from our collection to do. We'll do that. Get that recorded before you leave town. And I've decided. Since it's uh, the dead of summer, we're going to do the movie that some people say was the first ever real summer blockbuster. Came out the year I was born. It's probably one of my top five or six favorite movies of all time. We're totally going to do Jaws. And I'm super happy about this. I know that you are. It'll be fun to do. It will. Can't wait. All right, so that's it for this episode. If you have anything you want to say to us, send us an email at ddd. Uh, sorry, ddk podcasting at gmail.com. Uh, find this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Let us know what you think. Say hi. Say something. And until next week, go watch a movie. All right, thanks. Yeah.